0: Well, good morning, man, and uh, happy Labor Day weekend to all of you, and uh, if I wasn't free before that, I'm free now. That was awesome, um, and I think John stood up here and said something about shaking hips, so I, that, was, that was fun. I uh, hope some of you did it. Um, I know I did, but listen, so good to be together. I'm so glad that you are here, especially if you're a guest with us, a special welcome. Welcome. To you, Thank you so much for entrusting a little bit of your weekend um, to us. We trust you made a great decision. We trust that the Lord's already been meeting you. We trust that the Lord's going to continue to meet us. We trust that he's going to change us and we won't be the same people we were when we came in. We're in his presence with his people and we're about to engage his word. We just expect God is going to do something in the midst of that. So I don't know what your expectations are coming in. I don't know if for you, you're just checking off another Sunday at church, but our hope is that the Lord will just blow our expectations out of the water, do more than we could ever ask or even begin to imagine. My name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, this morning I have the privilege of continuing a conversation that we started last week. Last week we began a four-week conversation that we are calling Decisions, Decisions, Knowing the Will of God. God. And we do truly hope that this will become a conversation. I realize that sounds a little strange um, on account of the fact that I'm the person standing in this room talking um, to all of you, but our hope is that beyond this room, the conversation we begin in here is going to continue into different places. We trust that there'll be family and friends and, and maybe some of the, 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 the groups you connect with this Connection Month Um, that you be able to have conversation with around this topic. Because again, if all you do is come to church on a Sunday morning and listen to one person talk about the Word of God, I think we miss out on mining the depths and mining the riches that His Word holds for us because it's in context of conversation it's in context of community where we get to ask the question hey are you doing more than just listening to the word of god are you actually applying the word of god it's in the context of safe community and conversation where we get to actually say hey i hear what you're saying But have you considered that maybe there's an alternate biblical perspective to consider? It's a place where we can push and we can challenge each other's thoughts and ideas, all with a hope of running more fully into everything God is and everything God has for us. But week two of this conversation around the will of God and... um, Why talk about the will of God? Why have a conversation about the will of God? And um, last week, we looked at a passage of Scripture that honestly serves as the anchor passage for this conversation in Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. And if you have a copy of the Scriptures, feel free to turn there. We're going to just look at that briefly um, again. And let me just say also, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word We've been saving one just for you. Would love to get this book into your hands. It's more than just a book. These are the living, active words of the living God that he has given to us. It's his way of communicating who he is and who he says we are and what he says we can be in him in this book. We would love to invite you to engage this book. And as always, we believe that you will find it's engaging you more than you are engaging it. But why a conversation about the will of God? This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He says in verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so, as we said last week and and say again this week, we, we want to have this conversation around the topic of the will of God because Paul seems to suggest that understanding the will of God is key If we are going to make the most of and milk the most from these few and fleeting moments that we get on this globe, if we're going to make the most of the opportunities that this life affords, especially in in a dark and deceptive era, Paul says we are going to need to understand the will of God. God. But the thing about understanding the will of God is it takes work. It takes actually leaning in, which is why we want to do the work together of having this conversation to understand the word of God, to understand the will of God so that we can live most meaningfully and make the most of these moments that we have. Uh, We said last week, as complicated as it might sound, when we talk about the will of God, here's what that means. The will of God simply means what God wants to have or have happen. What God wants to have or have happen. The will of God is simply speaking about what God desires. If you can figure out what God wants, what God desires, then you know the will of God. And we said last week that that what God wants... What God desires, God's will, is often thought of in three different categories. These are not the only three categories, but they're the three primary categories in which the will of God is often spoken. The will of God is uh, spoken of either as his sovereign will, um, God's moral will, or God's specific will. And in some cases, it might refer to all of the Above. God's sovereign will is what God wants to have and what God wants to happen and what God is going to make sure he has and has happened exactly the way he wants it to happen, exactly when he wants it to happen, regardless. The sovereign will of God are the things that God has determined, God has planned. He said I want them and he's going to carry them out. You don't have to like them but you cannot stop them. You cannot slow them down. God is going to get it done. Jesus Christ is going to return to our atmosphere. He's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to make all things right. God has decided to try and stop him. You can't. Sovereign will. Things God is is going to get done regardless. Uh, God's moral will is speaking of things that God wants from everybody regardless. It's things God wants us all to do whether we like it or not. And the way we discover God's moral will is that he tells us what he wants in his word, in the Bible. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Do love your neighbor. Do love your enemy. Do live generously. These are commands God gives, which give us hints of. In fact, they're more than hints. It makes very clear what his moral will is, what God wants everybody on earth to do regardless now the difference between God's moral will and God's sovereign will is in God's moral will, we actually get a say not in what is right or wrong but we get a say in whether we go along with it or not trip of all trips God has made room in his moral will for us to say no I don't want to do that we actually have choice in the matter now I don't want to stop messing around with my girlfriend and now I don't want to stop mouthing off to my parents I want to do what I want to do. It doesn't change the fact that it's still the will of God. It's still what he wants, but we get a say in it. And then the third category is God's specific will. God's specific will is speaking about those things that God wants to have and God wants to have happen in my life specifically. It's speaking about God's plan for my life. It's speaking about the things that God has designed and that God desires for my life to include. It's the paths and the plans that he set apart for me that are different from the paths and the plans that he set apart from you. It's what God specifically wants for each of our lives. Like, am I supposed to be married? And if so, to whom? And if so, why is it taking so long? I'm almost 15. That's speaking about the specific will of God. It's speaking about what career path should I take. Uh, Should I be an entrepreneur of some sort? Should I be in the orthopedic world? Should I be in the medical field? Should I be in education? The specific path that God desires and designs for my life. Now... It wouldn't really be a meaningful biblical conversation without a little drama and disagreement in the church. And that is true when it comes to the will of God. Now, there's very little drama about whether God has a sovereign will. Most people agree. Or whether God has a moral will. Things he wants everybody to do. Things he commands us all to do. Right and wrong. Most people agree. The question The tension really centers around this third category. Does God really have a specific will for each of our lives? Does God really have a specific plan that's customized for your life and is customized for mine? And in response to that question, there's a little bit of tension. There's a little bit of division. One side says, no, that's crazy. God doesn't have a specific will for each of our lives. And last week we referred to that side as the circle group. Um, and the circle group will say, no, God doesn't have a specific will for each of our lives. God does have a, a, a sovereign will, and God does have a moral will, things that he says are right and are wrong. But he doesn't customize, he doesn't really care whether you get married or whether you don't, and where you live or where you don't choose to live. It doesn't really care whether you have kids or how many. Those things are just not God's concern. This side will say God has a moral will, and the moral will is actually the circle itself. There are things God says are right for everyone and things God says are wrong. As long as you stay within the parameters of what God says is right, you can choose whatever you want, and God doesn't even mind. As long as you don't sin, God's will is whatever. It's not customized. It's not specific. The way you know God's will is to know God's word. Because if you understand God's word, it'll tell you the things that he says to all of us, and then you start to make decisions. God's will is more like a circle, and within that circle, you can make whatever decisions you want. The other side is the dot. Camp. And the dot camp says, no, I disagree. Now, we agree that God does have a sovereign will. And we agree God does have a moral will, things he wants everybody to do. But beyond the circle of God's moral will, there are dots. There are very specific things that God maps out. There are very specific paths and plans that he has for each of our lives. He cares whether you get married or whether you don't. Where you live or where you don't. What career path you take and so naturally these two sides experience a little bit of tension Uh, Last week, by the way, I I asked for a show of hands if you feel like you're more camp circle, and some of you raised your hands, and I asked if you feel like you're camp dot, and some of you raised your hands. And um, I was told after the fact that, man, I asked anybody camp circle, like God doesn't really have a specific will, and some guy raised his hand. And anyone camp dot, and some girl raised his hand. The problem is they were together. And so I don't know if they were married or they were dating, or if they're still dating or still still married. But anyway, um, we've been praying for you guys, and we trust that it's the Lord's will that you guys stay together. But um, all that to say, (laughs) there is a little bit of tension, which is why we want to have the conversations as we work to understand what the will of God is. Before we carry on, I want to say this, this matters, what you believe about this matter Matters. I mean, there's some times when the church just has cutesy conversations for the sake of having conversations. But this matters. What you believe about this is going to profoundly impact the way you choose to live. Because Paul said, if you're going to make the most of the moments, few and fleeting moments that you have on this globe, understand the will of God. Which has to mean the way you understand the will of God is going to have bearing on how you make the most of the moments that you have. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If you say, I don't believe God has a specific path, or specific plan for my life, then the likelihood is you are not going to step onto that specific path. You're not going to step into those specific plans. Because you don't think they exist. If you say, I don't believe God has a specific plan for my life, that's going to affect how you make decisions. And in fact, the way you're going to tend to make decisions is by asking questions like, do I want to? Do I want to? That becomes an important question. Because if you say, well, listen, as long as you stay within God's moral circle, you can do whatever. You're going to start to ask questions like this. Do I want to? Is this something that I think I would enjoy? Does my heart desire to do this thing? Is this thing of interest to me? Does this thing appear to bring certain benefit to me? And if it does, if it's something you say, I really want that, and God doesn't seem to say anything about it, or it doesn't seem to prevent it, then that starts to affect the way you make decisions. You ask questions like, does it make sense? Does it make sense? Does this fit with my wiring? Does this fit with our current financial situation? Does this make sense in light of where we live? Does this make sense? Does this make sense in light of the things we've already said we want? Does this make sense in light of some of the things we started to plan in light of what we want? Does this seem like it will bring impact and benefit to my family? Does it seem like it will help the community? Does it seem like it will impact the kingdom of God in meaningful ways? ways? And oh, do the people I respect think it makes sense? And does history and does research seem to nod in its favor? And at the end of the day, if I can say, yeah, it's something I really want, and it's something that makes a lot of sense, then I'm likely going to move in that direction. All I'm saying is what you believe about the specific will of God matters in the way you go about making your decisions. The way you go about making the most of the moments. And if you feel like it's something you want and it's something you make sense, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to start to make plans and you're going to start to work to put those plans into place. And the reality is for many of you, that's where you are this morning. It's why you live where you live. It's why you work where you work. Because it makes sense when you think about the nest egg, when you think about the retirement plan, when you think about really the trajectory of being this close to our grandparents and this close to you know, no, no no our kids and, and trying to, to split the difference. That's how you've made the decisions that you've made. It's why you're dating who you're dating. It's why you're trying to date who you're trying to date. Come on. I know, even coming to church and stuff. But I'm saying that's going to affect the way that you make your decisions. It does matter. Okay. Uh, Last week, I tipped my hand and I shared with you all, obviously very confidentially, um, that I lean very strongly in the dot direction. Meaning, I lean very strongly in the direction in which I believe God has a very specific will for each of our lives. I believe, of course, God has a moral will. Things that we all ought to do. We all ought to share the gospel. But I believe God has a specific will for us. And his specific will often does include details like where I live and who I marry. If I get married, and what career path I choose, I think God has specific plans and paths that he wants for each of us to take. And because I believe that, it affects the way I live. Um, It affects the way our family approaches and views life. And since I have the microphone... I'm going to take, you know, the remaining bit of time to just kind of share some of the reasons why I lean in that direction. And can I say that before I even get into this? One of the things I would love for Mission Point to become masters at is the art of embracing disagreement. Would love for us to duke this out and for you to sit there and be like, what? You are crazy. How can you believe that? And then we hug it out at the end of the day. Because we understand that ultimately what makes us God's kids is not what we believe about specific and moral will of God. It's what we believe about the Son of God who died to cover all of our sins and then bring us into one family. So we would love to grow in the art of saying, and then we wrestled, and then we disagreed, and then we just agreed to disagree. But, but, But ultimately, when it was all said and done, we did agree about this. We all wanted to charge the gates of hell, and we all wanted to make the most of the moments God had given us for the sake of his glory. But let me tell you why I'm right. So, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, kind of. Okay. So, um, a number of different reasons uh, that I would say this. And I, I want to kind of start by talking about what the Bible teaches us about God. Just who God is and how God roles and two particular aspects i want to look at the first is is god as creator god as creator and from the moment we are introduced to him at the genesis of history we find god this is so fun he's not just creating the world and the stuff in it he is creating it with particular precision i mean you should go back and study the creation account Everything has its place, and everything has its purpose. Nothing is quite exactly like the other thing. There is so much variety, and there is so much uniqueness. It says in Genesis chapter 1, we'll have this up on the screen, verse 11. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation. But not just vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God loved it. He didn't just create plants and trees, but variety and kinds of plants and and kinds of trees designed uniquely with different shapes and and different sizes. He was not in any way the cookie-cutter creator in the way he approached his masterpiece, paid attention to each thing, giving it a unique pattern, giving it its unique purpose. That's why, by the way, we marvel at the fact that no two snowflakes are identical. Do you know how much snow has fallen over the years? And we are the ones who are so boring, and so we'll make observations like, oh, it's snowing, but not God. God is saying, let's see if we can't engineer and outdo ourselves and come up with a new pattern and a new design that has never been released before. And every snowflake is a new release and God applauds himself and says, let's do it again. He loves uniqueness and and, and he loves attention to detail. I love the way it describes him. And Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 28. And he says, and why do you worry about clothes? Clothes. See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor. They don't spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was, I love this word, dressed like one of these. This is awesome. If that is how God clothes the grass, Jesus' words, by the way, the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? I love this because I've read this a lot of times, but oftentimes I'll miss some of the beauty and the nuance of what Jesus says. Jesus pictures God as caring about blades of grass and flowers. Enough to swag each of them out. I mean, who dresses blades of grass? I just look and say, it's a big field of grass. God is like, no, 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 I'm going to get down to the blade level and I'm going to swag each one out. It's not just a bed of roses. Did you see what I did with that petal though? He's very particular. He's very precise and he's concerned about these little things. Things and that idea is even more accented when it comes to his new creation. If you have any question about what his new creation is, it's it's us. For if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is, she is, a new creation. A new creation is the church. And one might look at us and say, Oh my goodness, look, the church. And yet, if you look a little closer. You see a bunch of unique people with unique backgrounds, with unique wirings, and unique giftings, and unique patterns, and unique designs. God didn't quite make any two the same. Even some of you twins. And then the Bible calls us, which is fascinating, the body of Christ. Christ. The body of, we'll hear this terminology, and I think we'll we just get so used to it, we lose our sense of marvel even over that. The body of Christ. Because it suggests that each one of us is a different part of the body. Given a different purpose in the body. We all have our different place in body the body. And I'm just saying that as a creator, the Bible loves to portray God as a great engineer who takes pride in every blade and every petal and every snowflake and every seed. He's a creator who loves to design different, different kinds of people. And he swags us all with a little different purpose and a little different twist. To carry out a little different plan. For me, that's the reason why I lean towards the specific will for each of us. Because I don't personally think, no matter how pretty you draw a circle, I personally don't think it, it really matters whether you want to be a toe or you want to be an elbow in the body of Christ. God made that call. When he created and recreated you, he made you very specifically to play a very specific part to carry out a very specific purpose. Now, you can draw a circle and you can say, well, I can be whatever. And I believe that's true, not just about the, but I don't believe that I was created to be an accountant in a cubicle. Now, some of you here are counted in a cubicle, and you start to salivate. Me, I get a little nauseous. Now, I'm not saying that being an accountant is sinful. I'm just saying if I were an accountant in a cubicle, I would sin a lot. Um, that's not me. And some of your accountants from cubicles are sort of working with people and standing up in public speaking. You're throwing up in your mouth even now as I speak. But my point is God, even in his creation, has such uniqueness and such variety and such diversity, Very intentional. In the way he creates different things for different reasons to accomplish different tasks. I've never seen a be-whatever-you-want-to-be picture of God in the Bible. Okay, but but beyond God's reputation as creator is God's description in the Bible as shepherd. God the shepherd. The most famous psalm of all time, Psalm chapter 23, starts this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I feel like that right there just shuts down the conversation. Like I don't know, and this is honest, I don't know how you can read that and not conclude God must have a specific world for my life. I don't know how you can read that and not end in the dot camp at the end of the day. Because listen, I'm not a rocket scientist or an accountant for that matter. But um, what's one of the shepherd's primary roles? You're right, It's, it's to lead and to guide the sheep. Now, hang on a second, lead and guide the sheep where? If you continue to read that psalm, it says, he's my shepherd, and he leads me to green pastures. It's the shepherd's job to lead the sheep to places where they can eat to their full. In other words, it's the shepherd's job to lead the sheep to places where they can make the most of and milk the most out of the moments called life. Make the most of. What is available to them? Shepherd, he leads sheep to pastures. Well, leads them, why? Well, turns out sheep aren't the smartest of creatures. And the shepherd understands that left to themselves, these sheep, they're going to get themselves lost. They're going to wander off. And they're going to end up missing out on the greenest of pastures. And they're going to eventually end up at some chop at somebody's Labor Day barbecue. He knows that. So, I'm sorry. Too far. But his job is to lead them to these places of pasture. And um, I'm just saying, that in and of itself is convincing to me. Just just that. Because in order for the sheep to get to the greenest pastures, they need to be led. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's my leader. He's my guide. And I love, by the way, that David says he is my shepherd. He doesn't say he's our shepherd who leads us to green pastures. He says he is my shepherd who leads me to green pastures. Does that sound general to you? Or Specific. Yeah, me too. He's my shepherd. But here's a question for me, because if I could interview David right now on stage, I'd ask him, hang on a second, David, but you have the word of God, right? Yeah, in fact, the word of God is like a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. I delight in the law of the Lord. So you have the word of God, yep. Which means you have the moral will of God. Yes, okay, David, I'm confused. So why do you need a shepherd? Why not just figure it out? Because David understands there are places he has to take me that I have no idea about. There are places of plenty and there are places of purpose and there are places of pasture that he wants me to go to that I don't don't know about. So I need him to lead me. Otherwise, my propensity will be to wander off. And doesn't it make sense then that that before Jesus boards the flight back to heaven, he he reassures his followers. Pause for a quick second, by the way, and think about that word followers. Followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. It's interesting that it doesn't say figure outers of Jesus. It says followers of Jesus. Again, it suggests to me that Jesus is leading somewhere and we are following him. Jesus, why don't you just say to us, hey, here's a bunch of things, figure it out. But anyway, before Jesus boards the flight to go back to heaven, he gathers his followers around and he reassures them by telling them, hey, don't worry. I will not leave you by yourselves. I will send you another guide. I will send you another leader, the Holy Spirit. He will be your personalized shepherd to help you get to where I want you to go. And um, I can imagine the church today, many of us saying, wait, what? We don't need the Holy Spirit. Wait, that is what the church has done. But we'll say stuff like that, like, we don't need the Holy Spirit. Just give us your moral law and we'll be good. Just give us a book of commands and we'll figure it out from there. Just give us a circle and we'll find our own dots. And I'm just saying, if you don't believe God's will is specific, I'm not even sure why you'd be excited to have an internal guidance system. Why you'd be thrilled to have a a God-placed shepherd. See what I did there? The GPS thing. Um, Anyway, if God's will is not specific, the word shepherd, the word lead, it's just becomes all but lost. And not only does it become all but lost, but we also lose some of the most amazing stories in the Bible, or we have to read them very differently. Um, like Abraham. You guys remember him? Yes? you One guy? Okay. Um, <laughs> it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, before he, he became Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I'm sorry, sounds vaguely specific to me. Um, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Um, Abraham, there are places I've designed for you to go. I'm not even going to tell you where they are. Why? Because we're in this together. I will show you as we go. If you follow me, you will make the most of the moments. I'm inviting you into this glorious adventure. I can't see this as anything other than a specific will for Abraham's life. And I'll tell you what's a little bit concerning to me while we talk about the fact that what you believe about this matter matters. Um, Okay. When I read a story like this, I'll tell you what alarms me a little bit. When I think about the circle theory. Um, There is no way Maybe that's saying it too strongly. There is no way, that's right, (laughs) that this guy, Abraham, would ever, ever have circled his way to this adventure. No way. If Abraham had sat around and said, do I want to? What would have made Abraham sit with his buddies and say, hey, guys, I was just thinking, I want to leave my family, I want to leave my friends, and I want to leave what's familiar, and I want to go to this unknown land, you know, to go and do some unknown things. What would have ever made Abraham sign on the I want to? And and would this have made any sense? Would history and research have supported such a cockamamie scheme as this one? If Abraham was just sitting around and saying, hey, guys, I want some advice. You know, I'm trying to think about some of the things I want and, you know, like my, you know, 300-year plan and trying to figure out, like, what things do I want to do? What things do I not want to do? What things make sense in light of where I live and in light of the time should I make? There is no way this would have made sense. In what universe does it make sense that you're going to become the father of nations when your wife is barren? That doesn't make sense. But I posit to you that God stepped into the circle in which Abraham lived and said, hey, I have a very specific adventure for you. And it's one that you would never have chosen. You would never have come up with it ever. And I'll tell you what concerns me is that I wonder how many of us might be missing out on some glorious adventures because of what we tend to believe about this. Incredible story. Um, But what about this guy, Moses? It says in chapter 3, verse 10 of Exodus. So now, this is God saying, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. To who? Pharaoh. Me? Yeah, you. Specific, at least if you ask me. To bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Um, By the way, Moses was on that I don't want to train for a while. And again, no way Moses would have sat around and thought, hey, here's a good idea. It makes sense to me. Jeremiah, um, it says about him in chapter 1, verse 5, I love this. And I believe this for me. And I believe this based on so many other passages that we'll look at that are in the New Testament. I believe this. But God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet. I appointed you as a supermom. I appointed you as, you know, a medical technician of some sort. I appointed you. I honestly think this is the language that you're going to find if you study the, the scriptures. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Verse 6. Alas, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah said... I don't know how to speak, plus I'm too young, student section. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you, sound specific, and say whatever I command you. Again, Jeremiah had the law, and yet God enters in and invites him into this specific I created you to accomplish a particular purpose, and I'll be your shepherd, and I'll lead you, and I will guide you. I can't see any of this working with a circle only view of the will of God. God's will did not seem to be whatever in this context. God is a creator who makes each of us with unique peculiarities. God is the shepherd who leads his people to particular places and pastures of plenty to accomplish different purposes for the one purpose of his great glory. But beyond what the Bible shows us about God, beyond what God shows us about himself, How about what God says to us? Now, next week, we're going to look at a number of different passages as we start to lean into the question, okay, if you believe God's will is specific and it includes a variety of different details, how are we supposed to discover what that is? And uh, 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 what do we do in the meantime? Do you just sit and paralysis analysis and and just not do anything or the things we can do and we're going to process some of that next week a number of different passages but the one I want us to to dial in on is in Proverbs chapter 3 a very well-known passage in verse 5 and 6 because again if we say no I believe the moral law of God then all right here's one of the things God's moral law says Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is a New Living Translation. I love this version. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And you can replace that word with what makes sense to you. It says, rather, seek his will in all that you do. Sounds super dotty to me. And he will show you which path to take. Wait a minute, you're saying which path I take actually matters to him? It's not just take any path as long as it fits with. No, seek his will in all that you do. And he will show you which path. To take. So I'm just saying to you, if you say, listen, I just believe that knowing the word of God is knowing the will of God. Then, well, one of the things God says in his word is seek him to know his will. And by will, you can read here speaking about very specific paths to take. And again, in that context, these are people, individuals who had access to the Old Testament, uh, at least to the Pentateuch. What happens if I don't believe he has a specific will for me? What happens if I don't believe he has a path for me to take? Well, chances are I will not seek him in everything I do. The chances are I'm not going to seek path. I'm not going to seek I'm not going to seek purpose because if I don't believe he has a specific path, why would I seek him in all that I do so he would show me the specific path? What if for many of us, it's not that God's will isn't specific, but that we've believed it isn't specific. And so we've chosen to take, uh, what is the American dream approach oftentimes? It's a very practical route. It's the questions we ask each other about what is your X number of year plan. Do you want it? Does it make sense to you? And I believe that so many of us in the church are there. We live on the basis of what makes the most sense and is not sinful. And in this passage, he says, do not depend on what makes sense to you. And we may be living fine, but I doubt we are making the most of the moments. I'm just saying, I doubt that we are eating our full in the greenest of pastures. I doubt that we are on crazy adventures that we would never choose left to ourselves. Because what we believe has chosen to leave us to ourselves in many ways. We're missing out. And and not not only are we missing out, I think on green pastures. I think the world is missing out on a church that is making the most of the mission we've been given. Making the most of the moments we've been given. I wonder if the world isn't missing out on the church's impact. Based on what we believe. Because for instance, here's a profound question that probably keeps you up at night. Who's going to China? Right? Didn't you just think about this at breakfast? Who's going to China? I mean, I I think about that. Right? In what universe is anybody in the church going to sit around and say, well, do I want to? Do I want to go to a place that's hostile and antagonistic to the gospel of Jesus? Do I want to go to a place where I might risk my own life? I don't want to do that. Well, does it make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. Safety makes sense. Is there anything commanding me to go to China? No, God says take the gospel to the world, but He doesn't say go to China. I can go to the Bahamas and still be doing what God commands. I'm just saying, who's going to the hard places? I suggest to you the only way there is another movement, a wave of people who are doing mighty exploits for God and risking much for God is when people dial into there's a path he wants me to take. And that path may not be an easy one. It may be a painful one. But if I don't believe his will is specific, if I start to go down certain paths and it starts to look suspiciously hoodish and it starts to look a little bit hard, I'm going to recalculate root baby. I'm going to head back to somewhere that seems like it has an H and M. Who's going to those difficult and painful places? But yet you read the stories that we admire the most. You read the whole of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and it is men and women who did hard and difficult things, not because they wanted to, not because it was necessarily fun, not because it made sense, but because God came and invited them into an adventure, and he told them, I want you to go there, and Paul, it's going to be hard. You know what I find so interesting? When Paul writes these words, when he pens the words that says, make the most of the moments and milk the most out of life, it's like, where are you, Paul? Oh, in prison. Oh, man, that must be sad. Sad! I am milking life. I am living with a sense of his kingdom. I am making the most of the moments. But he's in prison because Paul understood his path was not going to be an easy one, but he was called to go in that direction. Anyway, I I think the world misses out on us and some of our impact. And I'm just telling you, like, I I believe this. And our family lives this way. And can I just take a quick second to confess? This is no offense to you, but I didn't want to start a church. I didn't want to. Mm-mm. That makes sense, didn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm just saying, like, we were in a season of life where we had a blank slate and we could go wherever we want. Why wouldn't we go somewhere where the weather is nice ish? And why wouldn't we go somewhere where the earth and the clouds actually meet in a variety in in topography? Why wouldn't we go somewhere where there are super targets on at least three corners? I didn't want to stay here and start a church. But man, if my wife was willing to speak publicly, she would tell you. We got invited into something and the Lord made it so clear and so specific that he wanted us to be a part of something. It would never have been chosen by us and we are so glad. Best decision we've made. We love what we get to be a part of, but we would never have chosen it. A group of people got together at a funeral of all places. And they were catching up over the last 10 years. What had God been doing? What had God been doing? And the common theme that emerged was, we believe God wants to do something in this area, and apparently the Sinfukwis are to be a part of it. And we think condos are supposed to be involved. I'm like, mm-mm. Like, are you sure God didn't say start like a, uh, like a neighborhood of condos? Because that's not something I want anything to do with. But the Lord continued to lead and make clear. And as many of you know, uh, our families in the process of adopting three chocolate flavored sisters from Haiti because we sat around and said how can we complicate our lives a little bit like (laughs) honey what makes sense financially right now we have so much money to spend we might as well enter into the adoption process what my son needs is (laughs) five women in the house that's what he needs No, but we believe the Lord invited us into an adventure because that's the posture we live in. We believe he invited us into an adventure not to be one of many options, but these are three girls he wants us to pursue. Not those girls. Because we believe his will is specific. So I would love to invite you to to carry on that, that conversation. And just start to ask those questions. May they be a sense in which God does have specific adventures he he wants to invite us into that we may be missing out on because of how we tend to view his will. But next week, um, we're going to start to talk about how do you discover said will of God? And does he really care what socks you wear? Really? How specific does God get in his will. And we look forward to exploring that together. But in the meantime, our hope again is that together we would want to make the most of the moments for the sake of our great God, regardless of where we end up landing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Listen, have a superb Labor Day weekend. I would love to hang out um, with any of you who want to find out a little bit more in Next Steps, out those back doors and to... Um, the right. But if you love Jesus, let me just pray real quick, um, and then we'll head out. Lord, thank you so much for your grace to us. Thank you for inviting us into adventure. Help us to say yes as often as possible. For your name's sake, amen.